I'm Adrian Sykes. Welcome to episode two of Did You Know? The podcast dedicated to telling the stories of the executives of colour who have led the way in the UK music business. Today we're in conversation with Sony Records Director of Africa, Tapima Vunga, one of the trailblazers in the UK music industry. As with all our guests, we like to ask them why they chose the music industry. Here's what Tappy had to say when we asked her. Do you know what? I don't actually think that I had a plan, you know, to go into music. Uh, I I think it's something that I fell into, you know, because I'm from quite a traditional African family. You know, my parents moved here in the late 70s and, you know, there were only really three job options, you know, whether you were going to pursue a career in law, in medicine (laughs) or something to do with numbers, you know. So I found myself in this scenario where I was at university studying English with journalism and I just actually didn't know what I wanted to do. So, you know, I took a year out. I think the idea of maybe going uh, into teaching, you know, had been... Impl- firmly implanted in my in my head <laughs> by my dad um, but whilst I was off you know as in whilst I was doing this year out I started to do various bits of work experience and temping and all of that stuff just to keep myself busy and I ended up you know with a post at uh, on reception at, at Warner Music and pretty much it started from there yeah, I think that may well have been the first point I came across you, but what was your love of music? Was that something that was always there? Oh, God, yeah. I, I think at university I was I was always like, well, university, college, I was a busybody, you know. I was like one of the first people, you know, to, to be in the line to buy tickets for whether it was a Maxwell show or an Erica Badu show. You know, myself at university, I was the vice president of the African Caribbean Society. We would put on events, you know, at the university because at that point there, there was like an urban, inverted commas, an urban... <laughs> night on a Thursday and that was pretty much it. So I was definitely from that sort of events management sort of space. Actually, that's what informed my choice of where to do work experience because I, I there's a part of me that still wanted to be in that sort of environment. Um, I just didn't know that it was possible, you know, for it to be a, an actual career. Tell us about your time on reception of Warners because that's a great place to meet people. I was on reception for a, a total of 18 months. And within that time, I remember being really frustrated. I just wanted to be, you know, I would greet everybody as they came in. And I wanted, uh, I didn't realise it then, but I, it was the perfect grounding or the perfect research had you know to learn about record labels. Because from answering the phones and directing everyone, I knew what needed to be directed to business affairs, what needed to be directed to A&R, what's a marketing question, you know, what's a TV or a promotions question. And even though I was um, really impatient, you know, because I, I wanted to not be behind that desk and be upstairs with everybody else, um, it was a really, really good learning curve. It just taught me 
pretty much how to handle everyone, everyone from the MD and the president of the company to the post room and, you know, the couriers that would come, you know, they all had to go through me. So in a sense, it just teaches you just how to treat everybody, you know. And what was the moment that got you from behind the receptionist desk to upstairs in amongst where it was all happening? That sort of busybody part of myself didn't stop when I was on reception. So in addition to being on reception, I was also writing for magazines. You know, at that time it was Touch magazine. And I remember doing a couple of bits for Untold magazine. So I was doing the other side. So I'd go and review gigs and and what have you. Um, And then in my lunch break or whenever, as I made friends with people in the various departments, you know, I would help the press department do their mail outs. So pretty much I got to know what magazines fall under the EMAP umbrella. You know, I was constantly busy, constantly making myself useful, you know, constantly inviting myself, (laughs) inviting myself to gigs and, and all of those. (laughs) you know so after about a year there was a lady called Anita Mackay who used to be head of press at RCA um, and she was she joined what was then East West which is now Atlantic and she came in as the you know the the director of um of press and I remember her coming to you know a couple of times coming into the building I'm assuming this was the time when she was sort of negotiating her contract and what have you but she was always really lovely and I was always like oh press you know because I think by then I decided that I, I wanted to work in PR and you know I remember always asking her questions but also making her know that oh you know I, I write for this magazine and you know <laughs> and she was like oh that's really interesting um, and then out of the blue, I got a call from her about a month later to say that she was on gardening leave. And I just remember thinking, OK, but who do you want to speak to? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. OK, you're on gardening leave. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'd be, I mean, no, where was she? I think she was in Greece or something. And then I was like, yeah, OK, but, I, you know, I've got calls coming through, you know. Um, and then she said, oh, you know, I would really love to talk to you more about press. I'm going to be building a team. You know, she was the first person, actually, who saw me in a role out away from that desk and pretty much gave me my first break. And I joined the team as a as a press assistant and pretty much, you know, the rest is history. I worked my way up. So, yeah. So Anita, I really, really I mean, she's still one of my really um, good friends now. So, yeah, she was the first person that actually told me that I would be good at at it. And I I believed her. Talking about Anita and people, a person that's clearly been an influence on your career, the music business is often said to be about it's who you know, not what you know. Who were some of the other influential figures around that time once you kind of gravitated into that press department that were influential as you started your career? Yeah, it's true. You have to be good at what you do. But, you know, 99% of this is relationships and how you manage them, you know. So, um, yeah, Anita was was a, a very strong mentor of mine. Um, and, I mean, I came in at a time where there were very... I think I was talking about this the other day that there were quite strong females, but again, that you could you could mention them on on your hand, right? So there were people like Barbara Sharon, um, you know, who 
a legend in sort of PR, you know, people like Moira Bellis, people like Elise Taylor. So, you know, they were there, but but we're, we're literally talking about, you know, counting on your fingers, you know, and then everybody else is, is, is men, you know. Um, but in terms of, like, who mentored me at that time, I mean, it wasn't a formal thing, but the other person, uh, Jackie Davidson, Jackie Davidson was somebody that I would see in, you know, everything that she was doing um, and the success that she was having. And she's just someone that I've always looked up to. And then when we eventually, you know, had a a, a relationship, a a friendship, she remains somebody that I consistently look up to because that woman is formidable. When you were in the press department, what acts were you looking after? And, you know, what were the challenges that you found, you know, with the acts you're working with, if any? I was really lucky, actually, because when I started at East West, it was it was literally, you know, if you could have a dream roster or all the people that I loved, I basically got the chance to work with them. So everything from Missy Elliott, I did every album from Missy So Addictive right up. You know, I'd worked with people like Fabulous and Changing Faces and Keith Sweat. And then as my career progressed, you know, I, I went on to work with the likes of Jay-Z and Ed Sheeran and and Rudimental. So I definitely, definitely have always loved and championed the essence of the artists that were signed uh, to to Atlantic. But it is it has been interesting, you know, even now, when I see Lupita on the cover of of, of a magazine, like it, re- it affects me, I think, even more so. And, and I'm always looking around to try to think, who can I tell? Who can, you know, who can share this moment with me? Because you've got a dark-skinned black girl on the cover of Elle. I just think I'm, I'm so scarred for, for many years of being told that black women couldn't sell magazines. You know, there were times where actually I would speak to the editors at Elle, at Vogue. With a straight face, they would, they would say... Well, you know, if you put a black woman on the cover, then your circulation will go down. And it was it was known it was known as fact, you know. And in the wake of the the serious conversations about race that we've been having, you know, I've been almost revisiting those conversations. Like, how much of that did I internalize, and how much did I challenge that perception? Um, I mean, I, I know that I did because I remember doing a press campaign for Missy, and I was absolutely adamant that she was going to be on the cover of the enemy and again it was I was told all of that you know it's not going to happen but I was just like what else do you have to do this is the most innovative woman you know coming out of this time and you've got this woman you know visually there's nobody else like her everybody else is you know has got that sort of overtly sexually explicit aura about them you know and missy's just coming out <laughs> crazy just <laughs> jumping out of you know the vi- the visuals yeah. and and just with everything and and eventually you know i didn't stop i just kept banging banging down that door and uh and we did and uh and i think at the time <laughs> the enemy was definitely the old guard they were definitely of that mindset, but they did it anyway because they had no choice. She was such a compelling artist. You could not ignore her. So, so yeah, I'm very pleased about that. I'm very, very proud of that. I know you're not in the world of press now, but looking back, how much of a big difference do you see now to, to, to back then? And 
Do you see it as being a sizable change from what was happening then to where we are right now? I think that from 2000, that sort of time frame, you know, the big thing that happened was, of course, the Internet. Right. So, you know, I think the whole business, the entire industry has had to have a reshake. Everything has been shaken to, to its core. And also that means how we discover music, how we discover artists, how artists are, are curated and put in front of us. So we no longer have one particular guard, you know, that says, OK, this is a hit, whether it's a new band piece in The Enemy or a new band piece in The Guardian, you know, which a lot of the acts that I used to work would have to work double hard you know, even to be able to achieve those little slots. But now, of course, you know, the artists through their own social media, they can speak directly to their fans. So you now are in a position where there are artists that actually don't do press, you know, <laughs> and, and those same artists that you were sort of, you know, sneering, you know, on are now just like, nah, I'm not going to speak to the enemy. I'm not going to speak to... <laughs> So, yeah, lots, lots has definitely changed. But I think that's also because the business has changed. But um, but going back to, to, to black artists, um, it does still fill me with a sense of um, pride. I think it is important because representation matters. Tell us about your journey past East West Press Department and what happened to you after that? So East West rebranded re as as Atlantic Records. So you know I was I was there. I worked for a long time with uh, with Max Lusada, who 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 ran Atlantic at that time. I can just say like it was such a great you know when you just work with artists you really believe in and you know people that you really trust and people were so good at what they did. I had a very very close-knit, you know, sister circle, you know, uh, Mel Rudder, you know, who was at radio, you know, we worked together a lot. We upheld each other, <laughs> you know, it's really, I mean, we're just thinking about International Women's Day. I mean, that's that's how we survived, actually. Another woman called Nadine Pasord, you know, she was marketing, you know, she came in and um, we basically did everything together, you know, bounced off ideas from each other. Does this does this feel right? Does it not feel right? Does you know? So it, that was really really important um, for me and the other girls, um, Linda Maitland and Ebony Riney James. So they were they were really really, re you know, in 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 that period, absolutely crucial. Um, and then just amazing, like it was a it was amazing team. You know, I think I just think I look back at that time and I I think fondly um, uh, of it. I started working with Ed Sheeran, which was definitely one of one of my favourite sort of campaigns. I really, really, you know, I was actually in South Africa when he got signed and I got a message from Jamal Edwards <laughs> saying, Taps, we've done the deal with we've done the deal with Atlantic. You need to come back now because I'd gone on one of my sabbaticals, <laughs> which became a recurring theme. But yeah, um, yeah, so I really enjoyed working working on that uh, on that too. So yeah, it was all in all, it was great. Um, but it just got to a stage, I think, you know, post after I'd done it for ten years, I didn't know what the future, you know, what what's the lane. You know, you're the senior person, you're working all the biggest acts. You've done Jay Z, you've done Ed Sheeran, you've you know, is there a head of press position coming? It didn't feel like there was. 
by not doing things by halves, I decided not only to leave the label, but to leave the country and to move to another continent. <laughs> and let's talk about that point where you decided you had to leave Atlantic because you felt you weren't given the opportunities. Clearly, there's an element of upset about that. I mean, I may be reading it wrong, Tappy, but how do you think your position as a woman of colour in the business affected your chance of promotion or did it affect your chance of promotion at that time to, to the top table? I, I don't think I can speak for um, the powers that be at that time. I can only speak for myself. And I think that that's, that's part of the attitude that has been able to be my survival mechanism. Because even at that time, even if I felt it for a moment, Definitely the race conversation wasn't wasn't said. Atlantic didn't look as as it did now, you know. Um, so the, the conversations were definitely that, you know, I am somebody that is talented, you know, somebody that has managed these amazing campaigns. And really, that's where the conversation stopped. So if I had if I'd internalized that, I think I might have just gone under saying, well, why is that? You know, and, and like I said, I didn't do things by half. So I was just like, OK, what's the next thing? Because I can't, you know, I've got school fees to pay. <laughs> I've got, you know, and I can't be doing that. You know, I can't be here in another 10 years just saying, oh, is it because, you know, whatever. So I think that's a question for the for the guy, the powers that be. All I can say is that I had a really amazing time there like my time there when I was you know at the head of my game was brilliant and when there wasn't an opportunity for me to move forward I created one well you certainly did that I mean you took yourself halfway around the world (laughs) I did for the next part of your journey to um to South Africa I'd be really interested to find out how that experience came about and how it was for you so I left uh, in 2014 to, I left Atlantic to work for, uh, MT, uh, for Viacom, Viacom Africa. So I was, uh, I, I headed talent and music um, and was responsible for, you know, MTV Base, MTV2, uh, and they launched two new BT channels. So BT Africa, um, you know, but also had an overview over Nickelodeon and, and, and channels like that. For me, it was bigger than just the the role. It was also a life decision. You know, I had a I've got a young daughter. At that time, she was born here in the UK. I was able to take her and really show her a new experience. And I remember she she started she started at a British international school um, in South Africa, and she was like, "Wow, mum!" <laughs> like, you know, she couldn't believe it. Like, my child sort of came home, and she was like, "Mum." I, I need to learn Shona. You know, I'm from Zimbabwe, so my family, we speak Shona um, at home, but she she doesn't. My bad. Um, <laughs> but she was just like, but the environment where education actually is the thing that is is the coolest thing. I saw her go from, oh, well, at least I tried, which is a very British thing, right? To no, 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 she needs to be number, she needs to be top five, you know, because that winning or achieving is is the thing that counts. And it was, you know, for me, it was quite interesting to sort of observe my sort of, you know, 11 year old, you know, just go from, you know, I'm just happy to be taking part, you know, to like, no, I'm going to succeed, you know. Also, just working culturally out in, in I'm, I'm hugely grateful for the experience. It was such, 
it was such an eye opener because you actually realize that the world is so much bigger, you know, than than what we it's, you know, those of us that work in sort of US and UK, it's like that's that's the world. The likes of Wizkid and Davido and Diamond Platinum and, you know, South African rappers like AKA and Casper Nivest. It was incredible that these artists had, you know, using the scale, you know, from the UK, you know, their followers were out of, were insane, you know, but still they were outside of the system. They were outside of, of what, when I say system, I mean sort of major label. And again, in Africa, it's different, you know, the management companies are definitely take much more of a stronghold, you know, than than per se the, the the labels. So so yeah, it was for me. It was really really interesting. It was really, it was a lot of fun. Um, I had a lot of support as you know. I'm a, I was a single parent at that point, but the culturally in Africa, you start so early. You know, we'd be in the office at seven thirty, eight o'clock. The sun's oh, out. You finish, but it sounds like a lot, but actually, sunrise is really early. So actually, everybody wakes up a lot earlier. Right. So and then by the time. So, yeah, by eight o'clock, you're in the office and you finish at four, at three or or four o'clock. Then you can I can pick up, you know, my daughter would finish at one or two. um, You know, we'd actually go home. She would go swimming. I would make dinner, you know, and then if I needed to be out again, I could do that. But it was all very civilized, unlike here, where you can be in the office at 9.30, still in the office at 6.30. Then you take somebody out for dinner and then you're at a gig and then you finish at 11 and then you get home and then you do the whole thing all over again. <laughs> so. so the only thing I have to ask you is, why did you come back? <laughs> do you know what? I'm asking the same thing. Oh, no, not really. Yeah, whisper you know that, what? Whisper to be that. fair, To be fair, it coincided with an offer from, from Sony you know, asking me if I wanted to run their publicity department at uh, Columbia. And so you came back to Columbia. And so I came back to Columbia, yes. And how how long did you spend running that department? I was there for five years. Really great label. At the time, everyone from George Ezra to Rag and Bone Man to ASAP Rocky, you know, to Wizkid, to Davido. Like, it's, you know, a really good cross-section of artists and and for me, it was really important, actually, for me to do that. I don't think I could have worked at an, another label. Columbia was definitely the one. I'm a fan of, of the label, of, of its heritage, you know, and its history. So, so, yeah, it was perfect. Your journey in South Africa, being immersed in that culture and the music, reminds me of a quote. I don't want to attribute it to the wrong person, so I won't mention the name. But somebody said last year that people want black culture, but they don't want black people how much do you think if at all that reflects what you've seen in your journey and the things that you worked in the places you've been around and the people you've been around yeah there is definitely a gravitation towards black culture you know and and i would even take it a step further i would say africa has been an inspiration to popular culture globally you know and has not necessarily had its dues i'm definitely Going back to that spirit of what I'd said, rather than sort of sit here and try and say, is it because of this and blah, blah, blah? It's like, how do we make that happen? 
You know, what's my role? What's going to be my role in this black renaissance that's happening of, of right now? Like in, in the role that I'm doing, you know, that I'm, it's not like I'm trying to now emulate what came before, but it's my face there. But it's because I do have an understanding of, you know, there are complexities, you know, of, of how artists will come from spaces like Zimbabwe or Malawi or Tanzania. Like the music is not just Nigeria, you know, and I, I, I hope that over the next 10 to 20 years, we're going to start to really understand and be able to articulate, OK, this is R&B, you know, and R&B could encompass everyone from SZA to her to a girl called Elaine, who's from South Africa. Do you see what I mean? Or, you know, this is Ama Piano, you know, and it's rightfully a South African led thing. And in your new role, which is clearly a very important role as director of Africa for Sony, how much responsibility do you feel that you that you carry to ensure that that message is upheld through what you do, through the label and through the business? I take my role really seriously and anyone that's known me, I have been championing Africa even before it was cool, you know, <laughs> even before it was acceptable. I would say, there's this rapper called Kanan and he's from Somalia and he's like, he's wicked and he's got an album called Dusty Foot Philosopher. And I remember at the time, like this, I remember coming across someone like Kanan who was managed by a really good friend of mine called Soul Guy, you know, who's kind of part of that whole Arista, you know, that whole scene. And and I remember having conversations here and I, I said, it's, it's, it was at the same time as Lupe Fiasco. And Lupe Fiasco was obviously a rapper from Chicago. And I'm just like, yeah, but this is a rapper from Somalia, <laughs> you know, from Mogadishu. And it just didn't connect. You know, I remember even trying to say within the label to say, we should really look at this, you know, even though at the time he was living in, I mean, he still lives in Canada now, but, um, you know, I was like, we should really take a look at this. And then, of course, he went on to have the big waving flag, which was ma absolutely massive, but actually not actually a, a, a fair representation of the music that he did, you know, because that was all quite jolly and quite, you know, almost like a football anthem. But um, we do see the superstars like like Davido, who's, you know, just, I mean, his following is insane, you know, like Wizkid, like these guys, like Burner Boy, like these guys are incredible. If you think of how big the continent of Africa is, there is there is more room, you know, to have another superstar, especially a female, you know, that's going to come and represent what it means to be an African woman, you know, not 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 as told by Beyonce, who I am a massive fan of, by the way, but just to say that there is a difference, you know. And in the same way that you have that responsibility that you've taken on to uphold the culture and the ethos and the realness of what comes from Africa and how it's disseminated to the wider public, how much responsibility do you feel that you have as a woman of colour who's risen to a position to be a role model for those that are coming behind you? I'm the eldest in my family, so I'm the biggest sister. You know, I'm the godmother, I'm mum, you know, <laughs> so I've always held that kind of role. Um, and I just think just by default, because we are, it, certainly as I was coming up, we were so few, you, you kind of just naturally had that responsibility to continue to make sure that there were others that you would be able, even if it's providing the same support network that, 
you know, Mel and Linda and Nadine and Ebony. Do you know what I mean? That, that even if it's like that, or even if it's it, when I eventually was in a position to actually employ staff, I take that quite seriously. I do take that quite seriously. I think that even on a on a personal level, during this time in lockdown, I've been thinking about what will music sound like coming out of COVID? You know, what will the next generation of, the, you know, there were a whole bunch of kids that we didn't get to see play live last year. We didn't see them at Great Escape. We didn't see them at the clubs, you know, the, whichever way we would have naturally um, seen that from before. I'm constantly saying, especially with black artists, especially with black artists with followers, it's just like how are we going to have a, um, a moment that encapsulates or that almost, you know, cements this time, you know, because whilst we've been in lockdown, we did have that George Floyd moment. You know, we did have that moment of reckoning. Are we going to have like, I don't know, thinking of like the Daisy Age era of when you've got goodness, like what do we need? Like, do we need feel good music? If we look at culture as like, you know, as the drumbeat of of our experiences, I'm I'm definitely interested, and I'm not saying that everybody now needs to go and make happy music, but I do think that, you know, this is a call for artists. It'll be interesting as we emerge from this sort of darkness where we've been locked away in our houses. Like, what is this next bit going to look like? But I'm very confident with my uh, African, <laughs> my Afrobeat artists, <laughs> because... <laughs> Now listen, you've got some good Party ones. music. You've got some good ones. And listen, I think the world needs some happy music. I think we need to be lifted from what has been a pretty dark time in all our lives and, you know, to help us realign. And I'm sure that what you're doing with the artists that you have will clearly be at the forefront of that, Tappy. So it's really exciting to see what, you, what you're going to deliver. And sitting from where you are now and looking back, when you first started, did you think that the position you are in now was something you could aspire to, that it was a real possibility? Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so, because actually I didn't see, uh, like, uh, and that's why I really speak about representation being so, so crucial. I remember when, you know, I fell pregnant with my daughter and I remember, like, looking around and seeing, like, who else is a working mum, you know, that is running, you know, just to give me an example, uh, you know. And um, <laughs> and funnily enough, there was this lady uh there was this lady who who was like the head of business affairs at at, at Warner, and um, and she and it was bring your daughter into work day, and I remember <laughs> she came and she had a fifteen year old and I was like, oh my god, she, this is great, she's done it, and I was just like, I mean I didn't know her very well, but she was just like somebody that I I could see, I could reference, and I went, you know, I had my baby, and I was like, great, and when I got back to work, I was like, oh. But you, she was like, oh, Tappy, how's the baby? How are you doing it? How do you manage? I said, what are you talking about? You understand. You've got a 15-year-old. She went, what are you talking about? She went, oh, no, that was my boss's child. (laughs) (laughs) We laugh, but it's actually quite tragic. (laughs) From the early point of your conversation, you talked about being a black woman in the business that, sense of acceptance and being part of it has your relationship with the music business changed now in terms of race and acceptance in it 
I mean, definitely at Sony, I think that from it's it's definitely been ahead in my experience in terms of, you know, there are a lot more women in positions of responsibility, you know, myself included when I was employed. And it's certainly in terms of the black executives that are employed, you know, we've got people like Glenn and Ricky who've got labels, you know, there are quite a few of those sort of deal structures um, that, you know, and again, just being able to, to, to look at that, that's, that's incredible. Um, I think I'll, I'll be really excited, going back to what we're talking about with the artists, I'll be really excited to go back into a building and to see what 2020 really meant, you know. I would, I'm quite hopeful you know, that it it has meant that a lot more people have been empowered. You know, a lot more people are starting to have difficult conversations or that have learned to have difficult conversations, which will allow for a better working environment in the future. I will feel so much more confident when I know that on the boards and the trustees of these major companies, there are black women, black men, you know, uh, white women, people of colour, you know, when that actually represents fully what the, the buildings look like, we'll all be much more confident that things are really changing. But if that power structure at the top stays as it is, then this is just, this is all just for show. Let's get back to talking about what you're doing now and the role that you have now. What are your ambitions for your position as Director of Africa and what are you hoping to do over the next 12, 24, 36 months in, in bringing that music to a wider audience? And how, I know you're very excited about it and the possibilities. Pretty much, as I've said, you know, there's a lot of incredible music that is coming from the continent. And I think the way that we discover music in the UK, it tends to be focused on, you know, the Afrobeats that gets played on One Extra or Kiss and, 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 and what have you. But there's so much, you know, richness from like East Africa and South Africa. So I think definitely shining a light or even just having a hub where, I mean, I, I work with all of the labels under the Sony remit um, so that, you know, we've got artists that are relevant you know, to to Africa. So just kind of building bridges and being able to connect artists, whether it's producers uh, and people like that. There's also an education process because I, I do think that, you know, the talent on the continent has almost outgrown the infrastructure. You know, you could get a massive, massive hit you know, by somebody that's sort of managed by his best mate who's never travelled outside of Nigeria or, you know, or Ghana. So there's there's a lot, there's, there's a lot to do. And, um, you know, but I'm excited. You know, it's, it's definitely stuff that we can get done. At the end, Happy, what we like to do is just fire some quick questions at you just to kind of finish off where we're at. So what remaining ambitions do you have? I'm actually really enjoying this moment and also not just enjoying this moment but actually figuring out what you know as I said we've all got a responsibility when we come out of this you know like what what did last year really mean because I found it really really tough I did um and I know a lot of my black friends you know or people of color 
um, friend. I know we all we all did. We all needed safe spaces. We all needed uh, to share and to shed and actually to speak the the first truth that we know, not the one that we put out, so that we don't look too angry or too, you know. So even before I can go there, I I, I think I want to be uh, I want to be present in this bit for a little bit longer. But yeah, definitely my my plans are around Africa you know, in, in the global music space. I'm going to come back and ask you that question at another, t- another time in another place, but I'm going to get an answer <laughs> yeah. from you. Who are the people that provide you or have provided you with inspiration? Do you know what? There is a, there is a woman called Cookie Price <laughs> who I was a massive fan of when she was one part of the Cookie Crew. And in fact, both, both of them, are, you know, absolutely love. But she's somebody that, you know, I am really privileged to be able to call her my friend. Um, but she's somebody that not only has the experience of being an artist, you know, a touring artist, a chart you know, relevant artist. Um, she went over to work in the in the states. Um, she has sort of frontline label experience. She, you know, she travelled the world. You know, she's like the, the the information that is in this woman's head is absolutely incredible. And no doubt, I think if she had been, if she, you know, if she wasn't a black woman, I actually think she would be running a label somewhere, you know, because of just how many parts of the industry she's touched in all the various different ways. And she's still, she's still, she's still strong in the business now at The Orchard. She's a massive, massive inspiration to me. What advice would you give to young women entering the business now? You know, to trust your, uh, yourself, you know, to trust your talent um and to speak because people need to hear people need to hear your ideas trust yourself you know that you're not wrong you're you're here for a reason don't second guess yourself there is always that thing of i, I read somewhere that women have to be 80 percent sure about what they're about to say right before they say it so more often than, than not they'll keep quiet because if they're not 80%, which is, think about that as a percentage. And actually men just need to be 20%, 20% confident of what they're going to say. They don't, do you know what I mean? It's like, so of course we just, you know, and, and actually when I read that, I was just like, wow. Going back from that is, I think it's just really important to to be heard um, and for those voices to be heard. And what is your hope for people of colour in the music business of today? My hope is that we don't forget the journey that brought us here because I know that a lot of people, there, there will be a lot of uh, roles created and jobs, which is something that we've not seen at this scale, you know, but I just hope that we continue to remember what that journey has been so that in the next generation, in the next 10, 20 years, we don't have a different generation growing up looking at the same sort of problems the same sorts of issues but ultimately it's just success so so much success Tapi Mavunga director of Africa for Sony Records I can't think of a better place to leave it thank you very much for being so generous with your time for the Did You Know podcast thank you so much for having me I'm Adrian Sykes Thanks for listening to Did You Know, a Downstreet production. Our thanks to Tabi Mavunga for sharing her stories. 
and to my partner in crime and true pioneer, Danny D. Thanks also to Sean Springer, our producer Cass Denton, to Ella Ruby on the socials, and for our theme music composed by Vega Brothers. Honourable mentions to Dave Roberts and Tim Ingham at MBW for their support. You'll soon be able to apply to be mentored by the guests of the Did You Know podcast. Keep listening for further information. Did You Know is available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure that you subscribe to never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. And make sure you look out for our next episode where I'll be talking with Joe Kentish, president of Warner Records UK, about his remarkable journey and career to date. This was Did You Know? Until the next time.